Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. And this week I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Priyanka Wally. She is the co-host of the podcast Hypochondriactor with actor Sean Hayes of Will & Grace. It's a very funny and informative podcast that's recently been added to my subscriptions. And Priyanka is a practicing doctor, a comedian, and a podcaster. And any one of those three things could be a full-time thing. And yet she is balancing all three of them and interested and actively participating in all of them. And in this conversation, we dig into how she got interested in each of those three things and how they each fold in on each other. So this is very much a conversation about calling your passions, your interests, daring yourself to get interested and do things in your hobbies. We also dive into the healing power of comedy and podcasting for that matter and how to cope with the world in its new current state and how she has coped and prescribed to others to cope and even thrive to a certain extent over the past almost three years now. So this is a very fun, interesting, uplifting, and yet real conversation about health, comedy, podcasting, and much more. And I know you're going to love this conversation with Priyanka Wally. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show Priyanka Wally. Priyanka, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah. So I am as well to have you on the show for a number of reasons. One, you were referred to me by my friend and previous guest on this show, Mark Malkoff. And -hmm. if anybody doesn't know him, I'll make sure to link up to him in the show notes because it's been a while since I've done that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then two, he listed off why I should talk with you. And I thought, well, this is fascinating. I definitely need to have a conversation with you. So let's see if I can kind of summarize. And then we want, I, I want to kind of give context and then break down, you know, maybe some practical steps and thoughts okay. and things out of all this. But first and foremost, <laughs> you're a physician. You're a comedian. And I'm going to throw podcaster in there as well because you're doing you're doing that, and that kind of crosses both the that's like the the Venn diagram, the center of it. It there, is right. Yes. So so let's let's paint context on both those things, and then step into the podcasting as well. So as a physician, first and foremost, the thing that hits me is one: it takes a lot of schooling to become a physician. So. What's your history, your background? Like, what's your, tell us your life story. No, what's, you know, what, how how did you get into that? How, what attracted you to that first and foremost? And what's your path been like? Yeah. So great question. So my path to becoming a physician has been long. I mean, in terms of the schooling, right? You just do the actual numbers of, so there's four years of undergrad, four years of medical school, three years of residency. And then, you know, if you do extra training, then that's extra stuff. And then really the practice of medicine is is essentially lifelong learning. Like I'm reading all the time as part of my upkeep just to, to kind of maintain myself. And there's continuing medical education. But I actually, I come from a long line of healers. My parents are physicians. My grandfather and great-grandfather was one of the first anesthesiologists in Kashmir, which is where my family's from. Literally my entire family. So my parents, their siblings, their kids, therefore my cousins, all physicians. In fact, if you look up the last name Wally under California medical license, every single name that comes up is related to me in some way, except for like two people. Wow. So yeah, I mean, I like to joke that I came out of the world holding a stethoscope because it was just, you know, it was like, 
ordained, you know, like I would, I, I, I didn't even growing up, I, I, I wanted to be a writer, an artist or something in the arts, but, you know, to be surrounded by medicine all the time, I mean, it, it's definitely going to have an impact. So growing up family dinners, I would just hear about all these like medical things, you know, all the time. I mean, we didn't have regular tape in the house. We had tons of surgical tape, but not like regular, you know, the normal tape. And so by the time I, you know, the, I, I've always been into science and I've always been fascinated by science. And so the kind of science biology part of me, it, it came fairly easily but there was always a part of me that was, you know, this craving art and the artistic world. And then that's why I eventually, you know, ended up where I've ended up, because that's always been a part of me. I'm glad you added on the biological and I'll throw in chemistry, the, the science side of things that you've had an yeah, interest in that. Totally. Because obviously you were exposed or better yet, a prob- better, probably a better term is immersed in the, the immersion is a good yeah, way to put it. The, yeah. the, the healing aspect of just what your family's been involved with. And so totally. you had no choice there, but at least that aligned with your natural inclinations, your instincts, your talents, etc. For sure. I, I'm I'm a huge nerd. I mean, I love nerding out on, on things. I, I love preventive medicine, health optimization, biohacking. I, I, I think it's really interesting. And I love how science can help give us answers to the way our world works. I find that to be a really incredible process. And that seems to be something that's potentially in short supply these days, depending upon (laughs) who you talk to. So I I feel very comfortable knowing that you're in that realm. Thank you. Uh, So then, you know, obviously also the science, the biology and your inclination towards arts, I assume Mm -hmm. that some of the psychological, emotional, and even physiological things that happen when it comes to laughter, right, Mm -hmm. is what Mm -hmm. somewhat potentially also connected. I I love throwing Venn diagrams out there. So so just imagine all those things and imagine Mm -hmm. comedy being right there in the middle. It's almost a natural, like, medicine in in a sense. Oh, yeah, no, totally. I mean, I have this very clear childhood memory when my brother was born and then started to grow up a little bit. And I, as an older sibling, I really wanted to connect with him. And I'll never forget the first time I made him laugh. I drew this funny little stick figure and he thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And it's like I could feel my heart opening. It it was like, wow, this is so cool. Like I'm making him laugh. Like I feel so good and so close to him. And and that I remember that was a very clear memory. And I have another memory also, you know, my father was an ER physician. He still is. And uh, one of the things that he would do in the evenings when he would come home and, and, you know, very stressful job as an ER physician, he would always watch the late night shows like Jay Leno or Letterman. And he would always watch the intro, like the intro stand up bit, and then usually would like turn it off when the guests would come on. And I would always, I, it was like a clear memory that like, oh, dad's watching this. He's laughing. He's happy. And there was something just really alluring to me that like all this person on TV is doing is standing up and talking and it's giving pleasure to another human being. And I found this to be a really fascinating concept. Yeah, I do as well. In fact, I mean, I am a person, I don't know, I honestly don't know when I got into it, but there was at some point, uh-huh. like early college, you know, college for sure is when I started watching all those late night shows. I had caught yes. glimpses of like, you know, monologues and, and even SNL and different things like that prior to that in, in you know, junior high, high school, you know, realm. But yeah. I, I wouldn't have called myself a quote fan or student of comedy till some point post-college, but I think I already was, but just didn't label it. When did you Mm -hmm. maybe, I mean, obviously that's, those are some of the catalyzing moments in terms of your interest and involvement. But at what point did you say, well, I'm already doing this healing (laughs) factor as a career. Like how does the tracks meet there? Yeah, yeah, totally. So my discovery of stand-up actually came from, from pain. Imagine this, I'm a resident, I'm working 80 hours a week you know, just really busting my butt. I went through a very challenging breakup 
And in the processing of that, I sort of started doing a lot of deep introspection, like, what, who am I? What am I doing? Like, you know, what is life? And and then I really got very honest about like, what it, what are the things that I want to do in this life or try at least? And so stand-up was actually a morbid fear, kind of a bucket list. It was supposed to be this bucket list thing where I was like, I want to make people laugh, you know, and and that's it was supposed to be a one time thing. Let me be super clear. And so I I was in San Francisco as a resident. And so I literally Google searched good place to try stand up comedy for the first time in San Francisco. And this cafe came up called Brainwash Cafe, which no longer exists, but it was a cafe and laundromat. So people were folding laundry while listening to you tell jokes. And it literally, I'll never forget on the website, it was like, Brainwash Cafe seems like a really great place to try stand-up comedy for the first time in San Francisco. (laughs) So I was like, okay, well, this sounds perfect. And they were like, you need to do three-minute sets. So I wrote three minutes of jokes. I don't, now in hindsight, they weren't funny, but, you know, it was, I thought it was okay enough to perform. I performed and it went really well, actually. It went well and I got offered a showcase because there just happened to be a local show producer in the audience that night. And that show producer told me uh, I need to do a 10 minute set in a month. And I told him, great, no problem. But inside I was freaking. I was like, wait, I don't even have 10 seconds of material. What the hell am I going to do? So I actually started to hit up more open mics to prep for that showcase to build my time. But what ended up happening is that I kept getting offered more showcases because there would be other producers at these open mics. So by the time I had that showcase one month out, I had all these other showcases lined up like further out. And say, you know, after a couple of months, I was like, okay, I'm in this. Like I'm deep in, like this is not a bucket list anymore. Like I'm a comedian, you know, and I remember when I made my first $10 performing stand-up and I remember the producer is like, now you're a real comedian. I was like, oh, shit. And mind you, this was all while I was in residency, which in hindsight, it's I mean, it's it's insane. But I it was my escape, Eric. It was like my, you know, I was working. I was doing medicine all the time. Like I needed an outlet. And so even though from a time perspective, you know, it was it was really hard to like work all day and then hit up an open mic at night. But it made me feel alive. I mean, it didn't exhaust me, even though I was exhausted. Well, you're getting that feeling compounded by an audience of this. I made that I made my brother laugh from the stick figure, like you said earlier. Yeah. And yeah, and, and that was my question was, how were you <laughs> balancing doing all the medical stuff at the same time as doing this, and and now I see this was an escape. This was a spirit boosting kind of endeavor. I mean, it started off as a self dare, yeah, essentially, totally, and getting out of your comfort zone. And yet, you found out you actually had talent in that area, and it was confirmed over and over again, apparently. And so then it's like, oh, well, this isn't just a hobby. At first, though, it probably felt like it was a hobby. And then it... Oh, yeah. No, it was supposed to be a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, open up your head. What does that process look like going on in terms of, but I'm doing this. How am I going to do this? Or like, at what point did you take it so, you know, seriously enough to start actually saying, oh, wait, I'm going to do both these things? Oh, that is such a great question. So I sort of hid the fact that I was a doctor on stage for a while because I couldn't marry the two worlds. In fact, at work, I wouldn't tell people I performed stand-up because, again, I couldn't, I didn't know how, you know, there's, you know, there's this thing that's in stand-up comedy. Like, if you tell people who aren't comedians that you perform stand-up, they immediately expect you to be on and to be funny all the time. And it's like the, it's like a lot of pressure. It's it's like if a dancer said to you, I'm a dancer, you wouldn't tell that dancer, well, dance for me right now, right? But like with stand-up, they want you to just be funny all the time. So I hid, I hid at work that I would perform stand-up because I'm actually quite serious in medicine when I'm with patients and I don't want to tell jokes like my time is focused on the patient. It's not about me during that period. So I spent years kind of like struggling and then people would find out like they would Google me or they'd like, you know, see my YouTube videos. 
And they wanted to know more. And there were years in stand-up where I would talk about being a doctor on stage and the audience, I mean, I would bomb immediately because there was no context for it in the sense that, you know, in stand-up, you're playing this character and the character's experiencing some kind of struggle. And the people, people want to see that struggle. People want to see some suffering as part of the stand-up, or at least in, in some types of stand-up. And the moment on stage that I would say, oh, I, I'm, a, I'm a doctor, depending on the audience, some audiences would be like, wow, that's amazing. But a lot of audiences, immediately you could feel the energy shift where all of a sudden they'd be like, whoa, like you're not one of us anymore. Like I can't put this concept into a box. So I spent years actually trying to work on that in my set so that I could eventually learn to build the audience's trust so I could talk about being a doctor on stage. And it's still an ongoing process. And flash forward to then when hypochondriacture presented itself, it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like, oh, okay, I, now I can marry the two. Like I can truly be a full doctor and a nerd, but like we can also kind of be entertaining and, and let loose and just just chill, you know? And so it was finally like, I felt like I found kind of a home. I would get feedback all the time from people who would say like, what are you trying to do? Or like, what, you know, either you be a doctor, or you be a comic. <laughs> and, but I, I'm so grateful for some of the comedian friends that I had who were really encouraging and would say, no, like, this is something unique. Like, there's a way to make this work. You need to share this part about yourself. And it really pushed me to try harder as a comedian so that I could make it work. Yeah, because there's not really anybody doing what you're doing. And like somebody who's got a full, like, there are actors and there are comedians and they, and they kind of, that's, that's almost a less, less blurry line. Uh -huh. This one is kind of a, this one's a solid line in most uh -huh. people's minds. And they're like, how does that work? Yeah. You know? Well, I really look up to Ken Jeong, who was yeah. a full, like, and he still has a medical license, if I'm not mistaken, but he was a full blown physician in internal medicine as well. And then eventually, you know, pivoted into Axie. And so Ken Jung in my, Ken Jung is my role model. <laughs> Ken Jung is like the best case scenario. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you enjoy Beyond the To-Do List, I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans. I'm Sarah Hart Unger, the host of Best Laid Plans, a podcast devoted to all things planning and planning adjacent. I talk about everything from paper planner reviews to deep dives into all things productivity from keeping track of goals and tasks to fitting in your true priorities and reducing the stress around planning and organizing across different areas of life. I am a practicing physician and mother of three, so I have a lot going on in my own life and am intimately familiar with the time constraints that impact us all. And I love sharing my own productivity strategies and learning from others who have their own ideas to share. I invite you to check out Best Laid Plans, available on all podcast platforms, or visit my website, theshoebox.com, T-H-E-S-H-U-B-O-X dot com to learn more. 
so obviously the third thing thrown into the mix and for those that are listening that have a podcast or listen to podcasts they know there's a lot of work that goes into <laughs> podcasting <Yes>. so <laughs> you you throw you throw in all the medical stuff you're doing as well as the comedy stuff and now the thing that kind of pulls both things together which is great but it's also yet another you know for the productivity minded people it's yeah. how are you balancing all these yeah. things so what's the story behind how hypochondriactor <laughs> got started uh-huh. and you've been doing it for a little while now which is yeah. great yeah but then uh, about a year yeah yeah mm-hmm. so about a year which great congratulations that's that's thank a milestone you. for sure thank you yeah um, how did you get started with the show and, and obviously so that started during pandemic time so yes. things kind of got shooken up a little bit and that maybe opened up some quote free time so to speak although yes. Yeah, so the story goes, so the podcast is produced by Hazy Mills Production, which is a company run by Sean Hayes and his partner, Todd Milliner. And pandemic hit, uh, Hazy Mills approached me and they said, hey, we're starting a podcast division and Sean loves talking about medical stuff. We want to do a medical show and we thought of you. They had previously known about me and met me. I had met Todd before pre-COVID. They found some of my stand-up and they were like, you seem really cool. We want to meet you. And it, it was it was a really there was a lot of really great chemistry. We, we hit it off, but um, it wasn't until the pandemic that then we were like, hey, let's let's actually do now a podcast and and move forward with it. And so, yeah, it's things sort of just took off. I, I met Sean shortly before we started recording and, you know, it, we just we just really got along. So for people who have not heard the show and I'm going to link up to it and I, I highly encourage everybody to jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. Obviously, one, the, the cover art looks great. Two, oh, thank you. <laughs> I th- I, it's you and Sean and you're kind of go- both peeking in from s- separate sides of the artwork and it's really cool that way. Uh, he's got a thermometer in his mouth and yeah, I think you've yeah. got a stethos- stethoscope and, and yeah. lab coat on and everything. Yeah, yeah. And the title is Hypochondriactor, which yeah. I've, obviously hypochondriac is, you know, people thinking they've got symptoms and, and illnesses that may or may not be true. Yeah. They're the paranoid ones. Actor is the other piece. Yeah. I think, that, but I kept thinking, well, it feels like there's a third word in there, reactor, where... Oh, hypochondriactor. Oh, yeah. I, yeah where you're kind of bouncing, no you know, you're, you're bouncing yeah. back, you're bouncing off each other. Reaction. Yeah. It's almost improv in a way. Yeah. So, but I, I love the show and... I, thank you. I want to encur- again. I want to encourage everybody who needs something entertaining, yet not completely so off the wall that it's not based in reality. Oh right, no. There's a lot of really helpful medical information in there. You know, we get callers that call in and talk to us about their medical stories, and we get a lot of calls of people who are like, "Hey, thank you so much for the show. I was actually dealing with some." issue and it wasn't until i heard this episode that i was like oh that's what i have and i'm i'm getting help for it and that's been really cool to actually get that feedback i've gotten calls or messages from medical students who are kind of in school and they are like hey i i listen to this when i i just want to relax but also passively learn medical information in a entertaining way and i remember this one med student was like this show helped me pass my exam, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Oh, that's great. And and of course, you have a disclaimer at the beginning, like, don't take this as professional medical totally. advice. But yeah. you're you're entering. It's almost like it's a safe space for, yeah, for, sure. for the fun to happen. And yes. the topic brings about awareness. And so then. Again, your stories yeah. attest to the fact that people that are listening start to think about it. And then not only does it lift their spirits and lift their moods, yes. but it gets their brain thinking and they actually pay attention to things they probably should have already been paying attention to. Yeah, totally. And and I'm sure you you understand like how much prep goes in before each, you know, interview. But but I, I really do study before each episode, you know, when a celebrity com- comes on if usually we get that what the element beforehand and and when i when i stay for each episode i actually source you know a few different sources but i also go back to some really high yield medical textbooks some preparatory books for for important exams in medical school and i kind of glean the salient teaching points and i try to weave those into to the podcast when i can that's great. Yeah. It doesn't come across as lecturing. 
which is the uh-huh. great. It, it uh-huh. kind of well, it, it sneaks. <laughs> it's it's like ninja, you know, education in, in a sense. Yeah, you, you're yeah. I try. Fast, right? I really try. Yeah. There's actually this exam that you take in medical school called Step One. It's like a terrible name, but it's sort of the mother of all tests. It's sort of like you know, one one test to rule them all, and in the darkness bind them. <laughs> and uh, and I actually use a Step One test prep book when I study for the episodes, so that I can try. And, you know, give give kind of any student listeners some of the like gleaning the the little like salient points if I can. Yeah. So obviously people are thinking to themselves, okay, you've been stacking all these things as you're talking. And the question here is, how do you I mean, balance is almost not a a real thing (laughs) balance is not it's more you pivot it's a it's It's, a moving target it's a work in progress exactly and 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 i know you know how important say self-care is probably the most popular term Mm -hmm. to label it but it's it's getting enough rest it's having the right diet it's getting enough sleep it's all all these different things we've talked about all these different aspects of an overall being an overall healthy quote, productive person. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, how were you? And then how are you now balancing all Mm -hmm. these aspects? Because obviously there's pre-COVID and then there's COVID and then, and now you're adding in the podcast and, you know, what equilibrium, how do you keep a a healthy equilibrium? That's a really great way to put it. Yeah, no, that's such a great question. And, you know, the one thing I do want to say about quote unquote living in balance is that, you know, if you think you're in balance, the universe will always sort of show you ways that you can be more balanced, no matter how balanced you are. There's always learning and growing. But, you know, in relation to your specific question, I guess the one thing that I can share that I did, you know, when I switched to a low carb, high fat diet or the ketogenic diet, something really fascinating happened to me in my ability to do stuff. And I'll give you an example. Back in residency or no, actually, flash forward, I'm now working in San Francisco at a, you know, small group private practice, seeing 20 patients a day, all day, and then performing stand-up in the evening. This is before I changed my diet. In order to do what I was doing, I during my lunch break, I would go to my car and take, uh, I'd lay down in my car and take like a 15, 20-minute nap. So then I could then see patients for the rest of the afternoon and then go out at night and perform stand-up. After I switched to a ketogenic diet, my energy levels went way up and I no longer needed to take that afternoon nap. And I was able to just work and function. And I noticed I started to see this really clear correlation that when I would eat carbohydrates or sugars, my productivity would go down. Like I would get brain fog or get really tired and sluggish. And it wasn't until I sort of changed my diet. And then I was like, I sort of stayed on, I stayed on it and I still am on it because it, I, I don't, I don't know if I'd be able to function if I eat a bunch of carbs like all the time or like, you know, standard American diet. Like, I don't know if I'd actually be able to kind of do all the stuff that I'm doing now. So and so that's one of the things I also know in my quote research is you don't really think the standard American diet is something. Well, I mean, most people, when they hear that standard American diet, they think of like, you know, how other countries see Americans and what uh-huh. they eat. I'm talking uh-huh. about even eating a little, you know, a notch or two, quote, healthier above uh-huh. the burgers and the pizza and the, you know, the stuff, the stuff we should yeah. allow ourselves to indulge in occasionally, but not be mm-hmm. a steady staple. So mm-hmm. totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was really surprised that, you know, I, it had had that kind of effect on me. Yeah. But I'm glad I figured that out. I think it's been a really important tool in my productivity. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things I know is that you have done, I'm wondering if you still do, kickboxing in the mix at all. Oh, wow. It's been ages. It's Well, I will, I mean, I have a, um, a bag sort of at my apartment. So, so I do do that. But to be, I think to be really honest, I think, you know, when the pandemic first happened, I was really, really angry. I had just a lot of rage. And I needed, it was like in my body and I just needed to move that energy. So I remember there were weeks where I would just listen to like really angry music and just like go at it at my punching bag. 
And then eventually, um, I think like I, I discharged a lot of the energy or I, I found some kind of balance with it because I'm, I mean, obviously I, I, I still get angry about a lot of things, but I don't feel this need to be like, ah, you know, yeah, there was definitely a phase early pandemic where I was just like experiencing a lot of really intense emotions. Yeah. I think everybody else is right there along with you. And in fact, I think we're still all doing that. To a certain extent, right? Yeah. The thing about my experience, you know, again, I'm a nerd biohacker. I was one of those people that kind of knew about COVID before it became a thing. So like I was following the activity in Wuhan like very early in 2020, like starting beginning January. And so I was kind of, you know, in, even my own family, who's all physicians, they thought I was losing my mind. They thought I was one of those like tinfoil people. Wow. You know, they were like, what is her deal? And I kept saying, no, like, this is going to be big. Like, no, like, you're not listening to me. Like, no, like, like, you need to wear masks. Like, da, da, da. and so to go through that frustration before the lockdown, before people could understand how serious it was, it was awful, Eric. Like, it was yeah. so lonely. It was me and just a couple of other friends of mine who are uber nerds who were like you know in the the sort of like tech hacking community like they sort of knew so i had just a few people to really confide in but it was so frustrating to be kind of screaming out like please take this seriously please take this seriously so i was going through a lot of emotions and what happened then is that by the time we started to go into lockdown I was sort of like now taking a back seat. I had I had processed so much. So then, you know, I had gone through the grief. I had gone through the anger. And and then it was and then it was just sad to like see the the United States and the world like going through the grief, going through the shock, going through the anger. And there was kind of this sort of collective, like, hey, we're all in this together thing. But from my perspective, it's like I went through that alone. And so that's why I needed a pushing back. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man. And obviously you, you've got that aspect of things where, you know, I mean, you're still practicing to this day. Yes. And so yeah. you've still kind of had that. I'll go ahead and say, like, you've still got that front line worker as a term yeah. a lot of people would use for you. Yeah, totally. You know, weight is the better way to put it, probably. You've yeah, still got, yeah, weight's a great word. A, you've yeah. got a weight. And in and yeah. some days it's probably worse than ever other days mm. maybe you don't notice it as much hopefully the comedy helps with that and that's been a, yeah. a cope you know humor i think is a thing that a lot of people especially i mean i know i can attest to have found oh my gosh i want to go back through some of these classic or more recent classics of you know sitcoms or or comedy records or things like that that just boost my spirit remind me of my humanity and others' mm -hmm. humanity as well, because we can forget about that too sometimes. So yeah, totally. Yeah, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, because you know, I can only speak as my experience as a healthcare provider, but like you do feel the weight. You do feel the weight of the sort of collective stress or like the collective suffering. And it's funny, like my taste in comedic things has completely changed now. I think I'm actually. I, I'm right now. I, I I don't know what's going on with me, but like I I haven't really watched standard old school stand up in a long time since the pandemic, and I think it's because since I've gotten back on stage, you know, performing like in the pandemic, if you will, or post COVID, it's weird now. It's really weird. There's this sense of tension. Like it's not this kind of careless abandon that used to be pre-COVID. And I think if I watched old school stand-up, I think I I really now I I really have a hard time watching it because I think it makes me feel really sad because I used to experience that routinely. And now that I've gone back on stage, like I have to be really honest, like it's just not as fun. Sometimes audience members are wearing masks and like you can't see them laugh. And that's great. Like I, I support mask wearing. Right. But it like from an artist perspective, like it does take the fun out of things sometimes. So I think I'm in a bit of a like weird place of like, what am I doing? I found myself gravitating now to a lot more animation, you know, Bojack Horseman type comedy where like it's this other alternate reality and you can yeah. still laugh, but it's 
it's not something that's so close to home, like watching an, an, a, a real stand-up person performing. Mm-hmm. It's it's even more of an escape in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, you, you saying that, it made me think of my daughter and I went to a drive-in theater to see, I don't know if you're familiar, Nate Bargatze is a comedian. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. So he and a crew were going around to different drive-in movie theaters, and then they would project them up on the screen, and you'd tune in with the radio, and you'd hear them, and you'd stay in your car. And this was twenty. This was twenty twenty, late twenty twenty. We did that, and then the special is his specials on Netflix. I'll I'll link up to that too. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. But he even it's done outside in this, Mm -hmm. and you can tell like the literal, but also the cumulative social atmosphere there's been a change and it's it's navigating that is is interesting so and we are all adapting to these changes and a lot of really beautiful art has come out of the pandemic you know i think i think podcasts have exploded people are now experimenting with different mediums i've actually seen some really riveting one person shows that were done through like YouTube channels or Zoom, you know, so it's it's not that there isn't great content anymore. I mean, there, there's fantastic content, but we really are shifting and adapting. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, thinking of that, that phrase I think I used earlier in some form or fashion of a, a an overall healthy being, being what, you know, one of my goals of productivity would be when you're keeping all restrictions and confidentiality in place, yeah. you're still yeah. seeing patients and consulting and, and helping people. What are some of the ways that you're guiding slash suggesting people, one, stay sane, two, stay healthy from yeah. a pandemic standpoint, from just, but also from an overall standpoint in terms of this new atmosphere, but also just, you know, like, I mean, again, you've got people calling in to the podcast, but yeah. outside the podcast in a more, yeah. quote, serious realm, what are some of those things that you're pointing people to if they're not already habit forming and practicing those things? What are the things you're pointing people to? Yeah, so that's a really great question, Eric. So so I think it's important to understand the context that when people come to me and they want to work with me in my private practice, they're coming to me with a specific problem in the sense that, you know, maybe they're dealing with a medical condition that nobody has been able to figure out. Maybe they, you know, want a better or a different type of approach, something like that. So I think my approach is always, I, I don't generally give blanket advice. Everyone should do this. Everyone should have this diet or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I genuinely believe the best medicine is personalized medicine, which requires individualized attention. But I can tell you the common factor between pretty much any patient I see is the importance of listening to your body and the signals that your body is giving you because that is data. So whether it's something as subtle as a as an ache or a tension versus an emotion, emotion is also information. Emotion is also data. That is all really important. So, you know, a lot of times you know, a patient may come to me and say, I know this sounds crazy, but and then dot, dot, dot. I, I, I usually am like, no, like whatever it is that you're experiencing, it's real to you. And my job as a healer is to figure that out and translate it into a way that is understandable and then troubleshoot. So what are some of the things that people, you know, obviously it's not a one size fits all, but what are some Correct. of the things that are most common that you're you're finding, you know, obviously it's it's definitely having more self-awareness and and being aware yeah. of the data. Yeah. What are some of those most common data points, though, that you're coming up against? I mean, it's going to be an individualized treatment. Yeah, yeah. But what's the what's the commonality in terms of symptoms? Yeah, yeah. So something I see a lot in my practice are complications of insulin resistance. Insulin resistance is the medical term to indicate when certain hormone levels like your insulin level, which is secreted by the pancreas, when your insulin level is higher than it should be. And when insulin goes up, that leads to some problems in the body. And it can affect many organs from the brain to the liver to your ovaries, if you have ovaries. All sorts of issues can can be affected by insulin resistance. And so that is probably a big thing that I see because I think a lot of people suffer from diseases related to insulin resistance. And one of the one of the things that I 
I enjoy about working with this ailment is that what you eat can play a huge role in reversing insulin resistance. And so I mentioned earlier that I follow a ketogenic diet or lifestyle. I I like to use the word lifestyle instead of diet. For example, a low-carb, high-fat lifestyle can reverse insulin resistance. And, you know, I've personally taken care of many patients who've had medical complications that have gone, basically gone into remission. So we're talking about things like diabetes, prediabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, fatty liver, to name just a few off the top of my head. So these are all ailments that can be essentially reversed with a low-carb, high-fat diet. So, yeah. I would imagine that uh, some of the people have been, let's say, during the last two years or so, been binging on coping foods in terms of whether that's alcohol or sugar or, you know, insert here. And that's where some of that's coming from. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really great point. You know, so I think what's important to note that the the pandemic, it shut us down and put us kind of isolated us. And it really gave us this opportunity to spend a lot of time with ourselves, a lot of times with our thoughts. And what happens when you go inward like that is basically things can shift. You can realize things about yourself that you may or may not like. And it's also an opportunity for certain memories, perhaps that were repressed to come out. So, you know, the the behavior that describing that people binge eat or maybe drinking more, you know, that kind of behavior, from my perspective, is always a response to an underlying issue. You know, if you want to take binge eating as as an example, binge eating is typically a psychosocial response to some kind of trauma, usually childhood trauma. And so, you know, everyone got put, you know, in lockdown. They had a lot of time to be with themselves. It would be expected then that all this stuff that you've been otherwise too busy to think about is coming up for you. And the behavior, you know, the if the default mode is to be quite busy and not think about the things that have challenged us in the past, you're going to engage in behaviors that continue to keep that process. In addition, what becomes problematic is when those behaviors then cause harm. Mm. And that is kind of the, the tenet of addiction. So, you know, I don't know the data behind whether addiction rates have have gone up during the pandemic. I would like to assume that they probably have. But what is really going on here is that there's probably trauma that is resurfacing and people are just doing what they know best to do to kind of heal that or or manage that. Yeah, it's funny that you, you mentioned being uh, a physician, being a comedian. You kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier where people will come up and say, oh, you're a comedian. Well, be funny for me right now. Or the yeah. other thing, which is o- often happens where people find out, oh, you're a physician. Well, hey, I've got this thing going on. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, actually yeah. <laughs> make an appointment, you know. Yeah. But my question is, is <laughs> my question <laughs> is, is, you know, hey, this is a productivity podcast. So I'm, I'm curious, what is like one thing that you know, I'm putting you on the spot and is like, okay, you know, what what is one thing that you think that other than like being aware of yourself and your data from your body, yeah, yeah. what's some other aspect or just, hey, hey, have you considered this that you can throw uh, out for people? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of stuff. Okay. So I, you know, I think having a mindfulness practice or, or even if you can't even have a mindfulness practice, but taking time out of your day to just slow down and breathe. You know, when I get really wound up tightly or stressed out, that's exactly the moment that I stop working and I start breathing. And I know it sounds really counterintuitive, but I, it actually does help calm your nervous system. System, which then ends up making you more productive in the long run. That's a really kind of the first thing that I would say that that anyone could really benefit from. It doesn't matter what your baseline is. You know, everyone can benefit from mindfulness. From a nutritional standpoint, just because of my background, I, I do say to you, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what your medical history is, I, I do think sugar is highly sort of inflammatory substance. I do think it is the tobacco of our generation. And I would say stopping eating sugar is probably a, a very beneficial thing you could do because anything you're dealing with, whether it's stress or a medical disease, 
literally adding sugar to it. I mean, it will kind of add flames to the to the fire, if that's the right expression. I mean, it fans the fire, really. Yeah. Any underlying inflammation you have is just going to get worse if you add sugar to it. So, like processed sugar by fructose corn syrup. Yes, yes. And you just get so used to it. It's almost, again, you're immersed in it. You're swimming in it and you don't know yeah, it. Yeah, no. We really do live in a very challenging food environment here in the United States. You know, I mean, back pre-COVID, I guess, or maybe now, you know, uh, if you go to a mall, right, you go to any mall in America, you go to the food court, you know, salad bar, there's no one there. Cinnabon, there's a line, you know, there's always a line. And, you know, there's a reason for that. Sugar is a highly addictive substance. It acts on the same receptors of the brain as drugs of abuse, like heroin and cocaine, you know, bad dopamine. So we are designed biologically to want sugar. It's just challenging because it's ubiquitous and not not something that is, um, you know, we back when we were hunter gatherers, we ate sugar seasonally in the form of fruit that grew only in the summer or fall. And then it stopped growing. And we needed to eat that in order to survive the winter. And so we're, we're biologically wired to want to eat sugar. But unfortunately, now, flash forward to now, we've created technology where we can literally, you know, I can get a smoothie delivered to me in an hour if I want. I don't have to harvest any, like, sugar cane. I don't have to plow any fields, like, you know. And so we, our technology is creating a, a lifestyle that's, really easy unfortunately our biology has not caught up to that yet yeah yeah uh it's great stuff i you know i i i feel like oh man i'm like we're we're kind of going into a depression mode here in terms of this conversation I'm, oh sorry okay we can we can lighten no, it up sorry. I, I totally get it like it, and that's the thing is like hey we can talk about comedy some more no i think that and that for me has been one of the things where you know spinning it around like some people they will go and they will. I mean, that's the actually that's a perfect perfect example and segue, and I'm calling it out, so it's not really a segue. But um, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people, in terms of you know ingesting food, they've been doing the wrong thing, and they already were. I think we also have that same exact thing, but with our minds when it comes to the the content oh, we're consuming, yes. right? And so the news, Ooh, yeah. I've I've I mean. I don't want to call myself irresponsible, but I've done, you know, just this drastic cutting away and paring down and curating where I'm getting it and how often to the point where it's minimal and it's, you know, a raw good source. And it used to not be that way, but I had to do that. And so totally. Yeah. Wow. That's such a good point. You know, it's a diet of the mind, right? And mind and body are are connected. I don't get news anymore. Like I used to, I used to get updates and alerts and my phone would ring all the time. I've stopped that. And I had to do that for as a, as a wellness choice because it was just weighing me down too much. And my approach is like, look, if you're worried, you're going to miss out on some news. If it's big enough news, Someone's going to say something and then you can look it up or do whatever you need to do. But I stopped, you know, following the news. Uh, It's been I think I stopped actually in the beginning of early, like early part of the pandemic was six months in the pandemic. I was like, all right, that's enough. You had your lead time on the rest of us with. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was just like enough is enough. And I started to feel like better and better. And that was that was a a good choice. And I don't miss out on news because literally people will text me or talk to me and say, can you believe what happened? And I'll say, no, I don't know. But and then I just look it up five minutes later. I'll be like, wow, that's wild. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to do here is maybe leave people on a note of... An uplifting, an uplifting note. note. I'm so yes. sorry. I was a wet no, no, no. blanket today. In, in, in so fact, sorry. I think that's actually a really good thing. We were real. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think calling attention to things without lecturing. You know what? Going back through, I think we accomplished that. So we're totally fine okay. there. <laughs> what I want to um, say is, you know, one, I'm really glad to have been able to talk to you because it's made me feel oh, better about my experience. But I hope that everybody else listening in can see that, one, they're not alone. And two, yeah. Your thoughts, your feelings, your data is unique to you, but you're not the only one that has that. So shared experience. Yes, yes, I completely agree. And I think that's why Hypochondriactor is such a great show and container for that. Because when we share our stories, when we share our experiences, we see that 
it's very relatable that there are people that have been through similar things than us and it connects us. Yes. Yes. And and that's the thing, like the connection and the acknowledgement of you're not alone and we're all doing our best. Sometimes when we don't think our best is enough, we see somebody else that's not on social media and we see and we hear yeah. a story and we think, oh, you know what? If they can do that, I can do that. And so I'm mm-hmm. hoping that some shared fun time listening in on this conversation was uplifting and helpful. And and again, like people listening to your show, it got them thinking about something that they maybe weren't thinking about or being aware of currently and changed this, their trajectory of their story, even just a few degrees. That's enough for me. Totally. Yeah, yeah, no. And uh, hey, you have to experience the bitter to appreciate the sweet, yes. right? Like sort of speaking of balance, there's light and darkness, right? Like it's part of the balance. Again, we can't be constantly eating sugar. So <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah. and figuratively. So <laughs> I would love to point everybody. I'm going to you know, link up to the, your podcast and everything in the show notes. But while people are listening and maybe have their podcast player app of choice out listening to this yes. and they can jump over and search for yours, let's have them do that. Where can they best find you? Yeah, yeah. So Hypochondriactor, it releases every Wednesday and it can be found on all the podcast channels, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the other ones out there. You can find me on social media. I'm at Wally Priyanka. I'm on all the channels except for TikTok. <laughs> Yeah, so that's one of the ways you can stay in touch. I will link up to all of those in the show notes for this episode. And it's been amazing talking with you. I'm so glad to have found, you know, that connection with you today. And I'm glad Mark introduced us. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, likewise, totally. And you ask great questions. I I mean, it's just really, really thoughtful stuff. So thank you so much for having me. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed listening in on this conversation I had with Priyanka Wally, and I hope that you're encouraged to tap into your own data. If there was one major takeaway for me from this conversation, it was that. That and subscribing to Hypochondriactor, because it really is fun. I listened to some episodes and, and subscribed prior to talking to Priyanka, and I really like the interesting give and take and vibe, as well as the guests that they have on that show. So I highly encourage you. I've linked up to that show in the show notes, as well as Priyanka's social links, so you can connect with her and follow her there. Thank you so much for listening. And would you do me the favor that if you enjoyed this conversation, would you take a minute just to share it with somebody else that you know needs to hear it or would be interested in this episode or Priyanka's show? To do that, all you need to do is hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice or over on the show notes for this episode at beyondthetodolist.com. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next episode.